Well, it is, it's good to see everybody. Um, it's good to be with you again tonight. If you haven't met before, my name is Kenny. I'm the lead pastor here at Revolution. And tonight, here's what we're, what we're up to with our, with our teaching time. Tonight, we're starting our summer storytelling series for 2022. Um, if this is your first summer with us here at Revolution, here's what that means. Every summer, we use our teaching time each week um, during the somewhere in July and August in order to look specifically at stories of Scripture, and even more particularly to look at stories from the Old Testament of our Bibles. And we do this every year. Um, the reason we do this and the method by which we do this is we do this by trying to see them as stories first, which is to say this, to see them as narratives which were preserved for centuries by the ancient Hebrew people as evidence of their relationship with God. To see them as narratives preserved for centuries by the ancient Hebrew people as evidence of their relationship with God. And I think when we look at stories from the Old Testament in this way, through that lens, we can discover a new path into the Bible and to what it reveals to us. In particular, I think that this approach, this storytelling approach, lets us focus in on three important questions which guide all of the messages um, in our summer series. And those three questions are these. Number one, what do these stories reveal to us about who God is? Number two, what do these stories reveal to us about who we are? And number three, what do they teach us about how we are meant to live in right relationships with God, and with ourselves, and with each other, and with creation. Now this summer, as we investigate stories of the Old Testament, our stories are going to be coming specifically from the life of Samuel. The life of Samuel. And Samuel somebody who had the double distinction of being both one of Israel's greatest prophets and also Israel's final judge. And we're going to get into what some of those titles mean in future weeks, but tonight, um, predictably, if you've been around and if you've ever heard me preach ever, there's way too much scripture to cover. So we're just gonna jump, we're gonna jump right in. So where does Samuel's story start? Well, Samuel's story begins in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter one with his mother, who's a woman named Hannah. One of the truly things, or one of the truly amazing things about our Bible is that for all the many ways for all the many ways that our Bible has been misused by people to further the suppression of women in the world over millennia now, it is in and of itself actually a text which preserves and elevates the stories of many remarkable women in Israel's history, and even often situates those women as central figures in the larger story of the nation. And this ends up being particularly true of Hannah, who is not a powerful person She's not an influential person, but her faith, Hannah's faith, gives us this window into the themes of her son's life. And her son's going to go on to play maybe the most or one of the most pivotal roles in all of Israel's story. Now, Hannah's story specifically begins in this way. It begins with her grief over an inability to conceive. Her husband, who's a man named Elkanah, is kind and although he gives Hannah special favor in their home, the text says that he's unable to ease her suffering, to give her any relief from her grief.
grief. But each year, when Hannah and Elkanah go to the temple in Jerusalem, Elkanah gives Hannah extra times, time and space, um, in which or, or with which she can go into the temple and to weep and to speak with God from her heart. And in one year, this is what the story tells us, it says, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And she kept on praying to the Lord. The chief priest, Eli, observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Now there are some immediate and beautiful encouragements for us in Hannah's story, right? First, she brings her sadness to God. She shares her sadness and her grief honestly. And then second, she accepts comfort. Right? She accepts comfort both from God and from Eli, and she walks away from the whole experience with hope. We've preached on Hannah's story before here at Revolution, but I wanted to, to make sure we at least quickly went back over this part of it because it may be that Hannah's story is a story that you need to hear, and if it is, if this is a story you need to hear tonight, I hope that if everything else is, is uneventful or uninteresting to you, that this sticks with you and that the story of Hannah and her faithfulness her willingness to accept that comfort that it's a real help to you this week. But I'd also like us to look specifically at Hannah's story with the first of those three storytelling questions from the beginning in mind. So in addition to revealing how we can grieve and how we can pray, what does this story reveal to us about who God is? What does the story reveal to us about who God is? Let's look at it in that light, right? When does God show up? Well, we see Hannah's faith. We see her expectation that God has concern for her. And we see that expectation encouraged and supported first by Elkanah and then later by Eli. But is it just blind hope in the story? Is Hannah's story just a story of positive thinking? Well, like not at all, right? Because in verse 19, Elkanah and Hannah are together, and it says that the Lord remembered her. That's when he shows up in verse 19. The Lord remembered her. 
And it's worth asking, what does it mean for the Lord to remember Hannah? Well, in Hannah's case, it means, right, that he heard her prayer at the temple. And then he enables her to conceive. So if our first lens for looking at this story is what the story reveals about God, what's the answer? What does the story reveal about God? I would contend this. I would contend that Hannah's experience and Israel's memory of Hannah's experience teach us that God is listening. That God is listening and that God is compassionate towards the people who seek him. What do we learn about God here? We learn that God is listening and that God is compassionate. What is remarkable then about the way the, the story continues is how God's character begins as the, in the verses that come next to be contrasted with our character. Specifically, what we're going to see is that when we don't listen, when we don't listen, we lose our natural compassion. God listens and is compassionate, and when we don't listen, we fail to be compassionate. These things are linked. So after Samuel's born, here's what happens. After Samuel's born, Hannah honors her vow. She sends Samuel to live with Eli as a servant in the Jerusalem temple. And there, Samuel gets to know Eli's sons. And Eli's sons are these two guys who, by law, are set to become the next priests after Eli, the next priests of the nation. However, in chapter 2, verses 12 through 25, we read this. Eli's sons were scoundrels. It's great when that word just shows up in your Bible. Eli's sons were scoundrels. And this is specifically how. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with his three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. I'm going to pause just to help explain, right? Like you're, you're seeing what's happening here. Like if you stick a fork in some meat before it's boiled, how much are you going to get off? Like get you're going to get the whole thing, right? If you stick a fork in a turkey, right? You're just going to pull the whole thing back with you. But the rule is you're supposed to boil it first so the meat comes off the bone. So they're cheating these people here. And so the people, realizing they're being cheated, say this. They say, let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want. And the servant, Eli's sons, would answer, no, hand it over now. And if you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. For they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. And then they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah, and she gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli, who was very old, 
heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke. And so it was the Lord's will to put them to death. That was a super long passage, right? And they introduced some new characters into our story and some new tensions as well. But what's happening here? What's happening in this part of the story? Well, to close out the story of Hannah and Elkanah, we read that Hannah continues to visit Samuel at the temple each year and that she and Eli continue to have this warm relationship. He blesses the couple on their visits and then they are in turn blessed to have additional children. But in the meantime, we get this other story building. We see how Eli's own sons are disgracing their offices as priests. What are they doing? We talked about this a minute ago. They're cheating the people of Israel when it comes to their offerings. They're taking excessive portions of the gifts for themselves, and they're also sexually exploiting the women who are near them. But how does the story frame all of these offenses? Well, it frames them as acts of failed listening. And then, as a result of the failure to listen, in absence of compassion. And this is the opposite of the character of God that the story has already established. Eli's sons, we're told, have no regard for the Lord, which means they don't listen to him. And then, we get that episode right where they're cheating the people and the people ask them to stop. And we see that they're not listening to the people either. If a person said to them, let the fat be burned first from the offering as the law commands, then take whatever you want. The sons simply say, no. And then finally in the story, Eli's sons don't listen to him when he confronts them about all of their actions. And what is the cost in the story of all of their Deafness, their refusal to listen to God, to listen to their, their fellow Israelites, to listen to their father. In the final verse, we read that the consequence of all this deafness is that God's going to end not only their priesthood and not only their lives, but he's going to end the legacy of their whole family's lives. So our second storytelling question tonight, right, is what does the story reveal about who we are? And the answer seems to be that we're people who are tempted to be hard of hearing. And when we give in to that temptation to be hard of hearing, we are acting in opposition to the example that God sets for us. To put that more directly, God listens, and so we ought to be people who listen. We're image bearers of him. Furthermore, when we do that, when we set out in this opposite direction from God's character, when we choose not to follow his example by listening to people, we end up behaving differently than he behaves. Specifically, we lose our ability to feel and to practice real compassion for other people. So who are we? If that's that second question, the root of it is who are we? The answer is that we're beings made in God's image. And so when we wander from the example that he sets for us, 
we tarnish that image. And that tarnishing, that rejection of what we're made for, is something that comes at great cost, not only to us as bearers of the image, but great cost to other people, everybody, to the community around us. So what then can we do about any of that? And to ask that question in terms of that third storytelling question, what can we learn from Samuel, the beginning of Samuel's story, about how we are meant to live in right relationships with God and with others and with ourselves and with creation? I think we find that example in the next part, in, in the example of young Samuel. So here's how the story continues in chapter 3. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place, and the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. And then the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and he said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. And then I trimmed a bit. This happened three times. And then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. And so Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say this, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood there, calling, as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli the guilt that Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. And so Samuel lay down until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And he was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. And then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. And the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. Now this is another long passage, but you guys are quick, so I'm confident that you can see where we're going. 
What distinguishes Samuel here from Eli's sons? Well, what distinguishes him is that he listens. He listens. And in fact, he listens even when he doesn't know who's speaking to him. He still listens. And when God calls to him, and he assumes the voice is Eli's, and three times he goes to Eli, and he says, here I am. He's eager to listen. After the third time, when Eli figures out what's going on, and he sends Samuel back to talk with God. So all, right out of the gate here, what is the answer to that third question of, our, what, of ours? What can we learn from this story about how to live in right relationships with God and with others? If you don't want to pay attention to anything else, you can write this down. What we can learn is that we can listen. We can listen. We can listen. But there were two parts to that thing about God's character at the beginning, right? God doesn't just listen. God listens and then is compassionate. So what about that second piece? What I love about this part of the story is that it doesn't stop with Samuel simply hearing what God has to say. Because of Samuel's relationship with Eli, who's both like his boss and he's also this kind of father figure for him. Now Samuel doesn't just have to hear God, he has to share what God has said to this man that he trusts and respects. And this is where things get really interesting because what God tells Samuel is distinctly bad news. And bad news specifically for Eli. In fact, it's the worst news imaginable that God has come to this child and said, hey you, that man who's the only man you've got in your life, you're, you're everything. I want you to go tell him that it's all over. Eli's sons will not find redemption. Eli's sons will die. And Eli's own priesthood is going to die with him. The guilt of Eli's house, God says to Samuel, will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. That is terrible. And that puts... Samuel, young Samuel, in this truly difficult position when it comes to acting compassionately. How can he, as, as just a young boy, deliver such heartbreaking news? Should he? But there's so much humanity in this part of the story. Because the next morning, Eli asks Samuel, he breaks the ice, which is good, and he asks Samuel, oh, and he what to call him? He says, Samuel, my son, Samuel, my son, what did God say to you? And Samuel, I'm guessing, is hesitant because Eli continues, don't hide it from me. It is one thing to choose to listen. It is one thing to feel compassion for other people. And it is another thing, it is a harder thing, to make truth your priority. I love that Samuel isn't cavalier about what he needs to say. He doesn't want to hurt Eli. But Eli's courage in asking Samuel to be truthful with him is met then by Samuel's bravery in being honest. And what is powering both of those things, both Eli's courage and Samuel's bravery 
What's powering him is their joint confidence in God's ultimate goodness. And the love that they both trust to be at the core of God's character, no matter what God's saying to them. Samuel tells Eli everything. He holds nothing back from him. And what does Eli say? He says, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. God just said, your line is over. You failed and it can't be forgiven. And Eli says, you are God. Do what is good in your eyes. Truth is hard, right? And sometimes it can feel like a compassionate thing is to withhold truth from others. But remembering God's loving character, God's ultimate promise to work towards what is good can give us courage to be honest with each other. And honesty is ultimately both what we most need and and honesty is what best reflects God's own nature and lines us up with him. If our third storytelling question has to do with how we are meant to actually live, the answer is that we are meant to live within the example that God sets for us. And if we take this to heart, even when it's hard to do it, we will have more honest and more humble and ultimately more loving relationships with each other. And we'll have those same kinds of more honest, open, humble, and loving relationships with him. My favorite verse in the story, and the verse that gives this sermon its, its title tonight, is verse 19, which reads like this. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. In many translations of this verse, including the one that, that I've quoted here, the pronouns create what I think is a pretty lovely bit of ambiguity, right? Who isn't letting whose words fall to the ground? One answer, of course, is that Samuel is listening to God. When God speaks, Samuel's careful to, to hear what he says, and that as a prophet, he's brave and, and courageous in how he shares those words, those words that he scooped up from God that he didn't let fall to the ground. He shares those words with the people of Israel. But there's this other alternative, too. And in fact, it's an alternative that some translations actually make explicit. And that is perhaps even more lovely. And that is that God is listening to Samuel. That God's the one who lets none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. When Samuel speaks to him, whether it's in grief like his mother once did, whether it's in frustration or fear like Eli has done, or whether he speaks to him in his own anxious and insecure ways, no matter how he speaks to him, God is listening to him. And what do we know about what follows from God's listening? We've already established, right? It's his compassion. So your God is listening to you, and through listening, he's compassionate. In the weeks ahead, we're going to see Samuel at the center of many events where speaking truth is hard. That's going to become the like keynote of Samuel's life and ministry. 
And we're going to see these happen in moments where listening compassionately is even harder. What's going to characterize his time in Israel's story is his ultimate trust that God is working towards the people's good. If you're writing a thing down in your notes, that's the thing to write. In Samuel's story, Samuel ultimately trusts, wildly and courageously trusts, that God is working towards the people's good, even when it seems like that's the opposite of what's happening. So as we close tonight, I hope that we carry these stories with us into our week. When can we follow Hannah's example this week, pouring out frustrations and fears before a God who we have good reason to trust hears us and loves us? When can we follow Eli's example, courageously asking for truth even when we fear the truth is going to be hard for us to hear? When can we follow Samuel's example, bravely and gently speaking the truth in love and compassion. And when can we more closely follow God's example, listening to and treating with compassion all those who speak to us? What if verse 19, that last verse there, could become a kind of mission statement for, for our little group of believers here in Annapolis? That we could be people who let no word fall to the ground. The word of God's, the word of our neighbors. I feel convinced that the city, our city, would be moved by example, by that example of people who lived that way. We're all living in this time, right, when there are a lot more voices speaking than there are ears listening in the world around us. So maybe tonight, maybe this week, maybe as we keep going in the series, we can consider, is it possible that God wants us to be part of changing that kind of a story? That God wants people who don't let words fall to the ground. Do we have the courage to ask him if that's what he wants from us? Let's try it.